Welcome to The Slow Reader, a podcast about books. I'm your host, Steve, and this is my first full episode for 2021, and I have four books to cover with two reviews, and those reviews are for Gladiator at Law by Frederick Pohl and C.M. Kornbluth, and Louis Riel, a graphic novel by Chester Brown. So the first book I finished this year was Imagination Illustrated, the Jim Henson Journal, This was by Karen Falk with a foreword by Lisa Henson. That one I gave four to five stars. I found it to be mainly a surface-level read of Henson's life, but flipping through the pictures were really neat. The next book that I read was Captain America, Steve Rogers, Volume 2, The Trial of Maria Hill. I didn't rate this one, but thought it improved on Volume 1 from what I can remember. This is the series where Captain America is actually a Hydra agent, something to do with the Red Skull using a cosmic cube to change the past. I'm not going to come back to this series. Um, I found it to be a lot of narration from Captain America and not a lot of things going on, and it's a little boring. So, uh, yeah, I read volumes one and two of that series, and I don't think I'm going to come back to it. So here's my first review, Gladiator at Law. So this is a strange book. From the title, I immediately assumed that the book would center around some variation of a futuristic society where a gladiator defends himself in court. I don't quite know how that would play out because that's not what the book offers. It is set in a futuristic society, and it does feature Roman-style gladiator arenas that seem to be an extrapolation from violent sports. Uh, Body checking in hockey is mentioned specifically as a possible origin by one of the characters. And the book also features lawyers, so taken at surface level, I suppose the contents do match the title. The main character of the book is Charles Munden, a lawyer who apparently is scrapping for money and takes whatever case he can come across. His office setup reminded me a little of the stereotypical private detective. Small, rundown, he's barely making rent payments, that kind of thing. The story kicks off when a friend points him toward a brother and sister who own a 25% share in a mega corporation who are being forced out. They want to fight it, but their lawyer is too old, so Munden is recommended. Without diving into the specifics, the overall story revolves around a plot to manipulate stocks in order to, um, well, I guess gain back a majority share in their company. Uh, this And this company is... Uh, was co-founded by the sibling's father. And then uh, there's also some corporate sabotage when they realize their best option is to force the corporation into bankruptcy. It's all a little fuzzy, but I found it kind of amusing to read alongside the GameStop scandal. Luckily, it's a short book, so the authors didn't spend a lot of time going into specifics. There were a, there were a lot of time jumps, and sometimes that was a bit jarring. The world that was created in this book is very strange. It seems to be a combination of hypercapitalism and entertainment is centered around ultra-violent sporting events, the gladiators. They have these big yearly events called field days where programmers are tasked to come up with lavish spectacles, which are also filled with as much blood and gore as possible. Um, and thinking about it just now, it feels a little like the game masters in The Hunger Games. There are other little details, like housing being tied to employment contracts. If you lose your contract, voluntary or not, you have to move to Belly Rave, a once-promising subdivision fallen into disrepair, and it's basically an unpleased war zone where everyone fends for themselves. 
I feel like what I'm describing is all over the place, but that's how I felt when reading the book before the main story really started to get rolling. The authors just kept throwing things out at you, and you need to piece it together as you go. Oh, and uh, back to the title. It does come into play a little bit when Munden, the lawyer, has to enter the field day as a gladiator. One of his clients was conditioned to perform in the high-wire act, where he has to cross a tightrope and avoid falling into a pool filled with piranhas. Like I said, it's a weird book. To top it off, the characters find out that there's this big firm called Green Charlesworth, and that it's pretty much controlling everything in the world. The kicker is that Green and Charlesworth are two humans who are preserved in some sort of life support tank, speaking through computers or something and that they've been controlling everything for hundreds of years. So I rated this one 3 out of 5 stars. I enjoyed the book, but it wasn't super great. I think it's worth reading if you're looking for something fun and short, but otherwise, I wouldn't bother with it. So I also have a short review for Louis Riel, the graphic novel written by, written and illustrated by Chester Brown. I finished this book about a month ago, February 9th, I should have written a review closer to when I read the book, so as a result, my memories of it are not as clear as if I reviewed it right after I finished it. Nevertheless, I did make some short notes that I can refer to, so here we go. I was drawn to this graphic novel years ago based mostly on the unique artwork combined with the biographical nature of it. If you're not familiar with Louis Riel, he was Métis and rebelled against the Canadian government in response to Canada stealing their land. That's a very reductive summary, but as I discovered while reading the novel, there were many layers at work on both sides. And even then, the novel isn't 100% accurate. It omits some things from the story and sometimes takes liberty with history. Chester Brown makes that clear from the start, and I appreciated knowing it was written with story in mind while keeping mostly true to history. What is pretty cool is that Brown includes notes at the end that highlight and expand notes on what happened and where he took these liberties, and this is on top of his extensive bibliography. I didn't read all of the notes, but I still liked that they they were there. It's something that I can dive into at any point. The art was unique, as I said. It's very simple, but the characters are well-defined, so you can recognize specific people. There are some exceptions to that, but for the most part, it stays true. Dialogue is short and to the point, not flowery at all, and I wonder if that's where some of the liberties were taken. At times, I thought the book could be better served with some more lines here and there, though. So this is a four-star book for me. I really enjoyed it, and I'm sure I'll revisit it in the future, if not to reread it, then definitely to follow up with the notes at the end. Where it loses points for me are the short bits of dialogue and the occasional characters that are hard to keep track of. So those are the reviews. I don't know what I'm reading next, but I have a few ideas. I'm leaning toward Ted's Deadhead since it ties into baseball and spring training is already underway. Currently reading Murders and Mysteries of the Manitoulin District by Willis McQuarrie. Um, This one I find it difficult to read because there are a ton of spelling and grammar errors and I can't turn off my inner editor. But some of the stories about Manitoulin Island are neat and interesting. There's also a map at the back of the book and it has uh, places talked about that in the book marked as either a mystery or a murder on the map. So it's kind of a, it's a neat little locally published book. That's all for this episode. I don't have any firm plans for the next one. I do want to read at least three books before I record again. Uh, But other than that, other things going on, I've started a podcast with my brother called Jays From Home. And among other things, we talk about the Toronto Blue Jays. You can find out more on Twitter 
at jaysfromhome. Thank you for listening and happy reading.